Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, welcome to another edition of American Potential and, you know, healthcare. We, we talk a lot about healthcare. We talk a lot about education. We talk about healthcare. I, I think about the barriers that are out there for people that government imposes. And man, I, I'll tell you, education and healthcare seem to be too, that, that government has imposed so many barriers upon us in these areas. Healthcare it can have as many barriers from which medical professionals are covered in, 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 in which, which ones are covered in your in-network plan, as well as where you can go get care. But what if there was a different solution? where you could pick the medical professional, the doctor, if you will, that you want and get personalized care. There is something out there that's just that, in fact, and it's called direct primary care. Now, it may not be for everybody, but again, as I say often on this show, this isn't always about you. It's about what's best for everyone and choices, and that's what this truly uh, is about direct primary care. It's where a medical professional charges a monthly or a per visit fee, and you get to choose your medical professional. It's not a substitute for your insurance. And 30 states have already passed safe harbor laws stating that direct primary care is not a form of insurance, but the internal revenue service, the good old internal revenue service They see it differently. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk about the benefits of direct primary care. And my guest is Americans for Prosperity Senior Policy Fellow, Dean Clancy. And um, this could be a great option for you and for your community and for your state. Dean, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. All right. Now, Dean, I'm in Colorado. You're in Florida, but you grew up in Colorado, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm a Colorado your, boy. your dad was state was stationed in, were you born in Hawaii? I was Honolulu. Honolulu. Did you, were you a surfer at, when you were born, did you come in surfing? <laughs> Not quite. Well, almost. I mean, it's analogous. Yeah. <laughs> so you moved to Colorado when you were a young boy and then you, you stayed there until you left college, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, I, then I went to DC. Uh, right. Yeah. And tell us about your background. I mean, some I think it's important for people to understand who you are and and I mean, you've been working in in this healthcare policy arena at a very high level for for a lot of different entities. So I'd love to have you give some of your background. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Thank you. I uh, I got into health policy uh, as a young man uh, working in Washington. Um, my first job on Capitol Hill was for a senior member of Congress, and this was at the time of the uh, debate over Clinton Care, which is really the sort of the Obamacare of the 90s. It didn't uh, become law, uh, but it was similar in its goals and structure. And uh, I was on the, the side of the debate that, that said, you know, this is not a good idea, putting the government in charge of health care like this. It's right. much better to let market forces work and so on. And um, I got the job in the office and people said, do you want to do health policy? Because nobody else in the office wants to do this issue. And I said, sure. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. I've worked for uh, worked on Capitol Hill, both the House side and the Senate 
side. I've worked in three administrations in the White House uh, and in cabinet agencies. And um, I've worked in the healthcare uh, industry as a consultant and a government relations professional. And now, happily, all of that culminates in my, in my twilight years. I'm a, a grassroots advocate. I'm trying to help make uh, the world better. Uh, and all of it has been focused on health policy. You know, it never. I, I I fail to find a lot of areas where government gets heavily involved in the marketplace, and and makes a positive impact. I really can't find it. I mean, I know they skew the market, and they do that in healthcare. They do it in you know in energy and so many other areas. Uh, I mean, this this idea of trying to get get government sort of off our backs in some of this, and and allow us to make choices. And these are choices that some people don't even get the the chance to make because government never allows them to. And before we get into direct primary care, and I, I want you to explain what that is in a second, but w- what about that? I mean, do, do you have any philosophical thoughts about how government like stops people from just making everyday decisions about their own health care, and, and people think it might be some insurance company somewhere, or it might be, it might be their doctor or whatever, but it, at the root of it, in a lot of cases, it's government imposing that upon them. That is absolutely right. You know, the, I don't know if you've seen this as a famous chart. It gets updated from time to time. You see it on Twitter and Facebook. And basically, it's the, the price uh, growth history of various elements of the American economy. And some of the prices are, you see are going up very heavily over time. And some of them are dropping uh, dramatically over time. So, for example... Healthcare, education, energy, prices tend to be going up. Uh, smartphones, computers, you know, uh, laser eye surgery, pr- prices are plummeting. What's the difference between those two types of things? Well, government involvement. Mm-hmm. The government heavily gets involved in healthcare, education, and so on. And they've driven the price up and the, the quality down. And, you know, so in general, government involvement is not helpful, especially when the private sector is capable of doing it. I think we all agree that government is needed to do certain things that uh, otherwise we collectively just can't do. But the list of those things is really pretty small. And we let government just sort of sprawl and say, oh, I think, we'll, you know, I'll get into healthcare, I'll get into education, I'll, I'll get into, uh, you know, free daycare for everybody and so on. And it's like, you know what? Uh, you're not adding a lot of value, and that is a problem. Yeah, and you know, I, just a quick side note here. You know, I bought a, te- a television the other day and was out shopping for them, and I was thinking, man, te- televisions, look how much better televisions are today than they were 20 years ago. I mean, technology-wise, how much smaller they are, lighter weight, better picture, better sound, you name it, and cheaper, right? And oh, I, yeah. I, I stopped to think, man, if government was regulating televisions, we'd have $3,000 bricks that, um, you know, have uh, 64, um, you know, bits or whatever in them. I mean, they'd be terrible like quality. Pong, pong, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. 1972 quality. Yeah, at, at enormous prices. That's exactly right. Uh, it's precisely because the government hasn't tried to dominate uh, that the TVs just get better and better. My kids were making fun of me over the holidays because my wife and I bought a new, larger, flat-screen TV. And, of course, it was affordable, and it was great. But, you know, they think we're some kind of, you know, <laughs> we're being indulgent or something. But it's just because the market <laughs> made sure. it possible. Sure, sure. Now, and let's explain. I think it's important for people to understand what is direct 
primary care? Direct primary care is a new model of access to healthcare. It's new in that it's probably only been around really in the last decade or so, and it's growing like gangbusters. And how it works is you uh, just pay your preferred doctors, uh, or it could be like a, a facility, maybe you know an imaging facility, um, a set price every month, you know, like a Netflix subscription. Mm -hmm. Um, or you could do it on a per visit basis. That's also direct. What, what makes it direct is you're not relying on insurance to be involved in the thing. Right. You're just paying out of pocket. And um, it's exciting because um, when you do that, you get back closer to the original model of healthcare, which was doctor and patient with no you know, bureaucrat uh, intermeddling, either a government bureaucrat or a, a health insurance corporate bureaucrat. It's just you and the caregiver, and, and, and it's built on trust. And so direct primary care is, is just direct payment for health care out of your own funds. So this, this obviously, when you're, when you're bypassing an insurance company, a health insurance company, now they're not going to like that, right? Because they, they, I would right. imagine health insurance companies would love to see every American be required to have health insurance, right? Now, from a freedom standpoint- They did. I, yeah. They did in Obamacare, yeah. Right, they, right, well, exactly. That, that's basically been repealed. But yeah, that's, that, was, that was their deal. They wanted to force everybody to buy their product. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, correct. So, but when you get them out of the equation and it's a direct, uh, it, it's a direct contract or a direct uh, transaction between you and your doctor, I mean, that, you must have examples of how that saves tremendous amounts of money for patients. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. First of all, um, it's more affordable because you're cutting out all that paperwork and, and uh, bureaucracy. Uh, it's, it can be very affordable. For example, uh, here in the part of Florida where I live, there's a direct primary care practice known as Epiphany Health, and they charge $65 a month for an adult to have unlimited access to their doctors and uh, $10 a month for each uh, child. So that's pretty darn affordable for most people. Sure. And what do you get? What do you get for that? Well, first of all, not just doctor's visits, but you can email or text uh, or use telehealth with your doctor anytime, you know, day or night. And, um, and they're responsive. You know, one way to ask people about um, the quality of their healthcare is just say, well, uh, do you know your doctor's personal cell phone number? <laughs> Most people are going to blank at you. What? <laughs> right. I, why, why? No, my goodness, that, I shouldn't have his personal cell phone number. Of course you should. Your doctor is an advisor, a counselor, somebody who's helping you, and you're paying for that. And in direct primary care, they automatically give that to you. And uh, I, asked, uh, I asked the doctor who ran, runs that particular practice, don't you have the problem of people overusing that, that amazing amount of access to you? And he said, no, actually, in general, they don't. And most people are just happy to have the access when they need it. And for those who are a bit more hypochondriac and you know, are constantly uh, trying to interact with me, guess what? I've got the time to do it because the other people are not. So that's, that's how a direct primary care works in practice and it's people love it the doctors and the patients love it the doctors get to practice health care instead of filling out paperwork for insurance companies 
the patients get more time and higher quality with the doctors, and the doctors actually know them. They actually, you know, it's not a not a seven minute meet, uh, appointment where the doctor's got to look at a computer screen the whole time and then get you out for the next patient to come in. They actually spend time with you. It's better healthcare. Yeah. Now I, I want to talk. There, there's but there's barriers to direct primary care, and that's what this show is about. That's what Americans for Prosperity is about: is removing barriers, particularly government-imposed barriers. And there's barriers to direct primary care at the federal level and at the state level in some states. Other states allow it. And I want to get into the state side of it in a second, but let's talk about the federal government. So this isn't insurance, right? Because it's just a contract between you and your doctor. But but tell me, what is the federal, what's the barriers at the federal level from, I mean, this just seems like common sense. I ought to be able to do this, but there's actually a government law that, that makes it difficult for people to do this. Absolutely. And I'm going to answer your question in a second, but I'm going to, I just thought of one more thing okay. for your previous question sure. about, okay. about how it saves people money. Yeah. Another thing is direct primary care uh, doctors will often give you amazing discounts on generic drugs, like 95% discounts. Huh. Wow. How can they do that? Well, they buy directly from the drug makers, the manufacturers, they cut out all the retail pharmacy and PBM and so on, all these middlemen in the system that you normally run into with insurance, but they just buy direct and they might charge a dispensing fee and uh, a little bit of a markup, but it's still like 95% cheaper in many cases. So that's another way direct primary care saves you money. But to your question about the federal barriers to this new model, they're very serious. The IRS, the, the, the tax collectors in Washington, have decided that in their opinion, direct primary care is really a form of insurance. And therefore, um, under the tax laws, uh, they have to uh, treat it a certain way. Uh, it's not something that you can deduct on your taxes. So the monthly fee that you would pay to direct primary care, you can't deduct that on mm-hmm. your taxes because um, uh, under that law, you don't deduct the insurance premiums. You can only deduct medical expenses, sort of -of out-of-pocket kinds of things. And um, second, they say if you have a tax-free health savings account or at work, you could have something called a flexible spending account. These are basically, uh, you know, vehicles, models by which uh, people can pay for health services with untaxed dollars. So their health uh, dollar goes farther and um, those are created by the federal government. A lot of people use them. Uh, but the IRS says, no, 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 no. You cannot use those untaxed dollars for direct primary care. And then the kicker is uh, the HSA law, the health savings account law that governs those, also says you may, only, you may only have one kind of health insurance. This is a crazy federal rule um, that significantly restricts people's ability to have a health savings account. And so the, because the IRS views DPC, direct primary care, as insurance, they view it as a forbidden second health insurance policy for anyone who happens to want to use a health savings account. So they, it's sort of a triple whammy. And the, the net result is people are forced to choose whether they wanna be able to save tax-free for healthcare or have direct access to doctors. Um, and they can't deduct uh, the direct access uh, costs from their taxes. And all of that makes no sense. So at Americans for Prosperity, one of our top goals with our personal option health reform agenda 
is to change that, change the federal law, so you can have all of these tools available to you without the federal red tape. Yeah, th- th- that's just dumb. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. But, I mean, that's just dumb. That's a barrier that government has erected and said, you know, you as the citizens of the United States can't, you can't have two different kinds of health insurance if you want, or you can't use uh, these dollars in a health savings account for health care <laughs> with your doctor. I mean, these are just dumb rules that, that have been put into place by regulators and by Congress, I guess. Is, is that right? Well, it's, uh, it, it's partly Congress and it's partly the IRS. Yeah, right. it's, it's the folks in Washington and we need to fix it. I mean, these are the, this is a great example of the kind of barriers that, that we have to tear down. If we're going to live as free people who want to, to, to control our own destiny, and who want to live the, our lives as we see fit. And again, this you may be listening to this and say, man, this I would never do this. Great. That's your choice. We should all have the choice. It, Dean, you, Dean is not saying to you right now that this is how health care should be. Everybody should have direct primary care. Dean is saying this should be an option that if you want, your government shouldn't prevent you from doing it. Am I right, Dean? You are absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the states because different states, states certainly have a lot of regulation when it comes to health care. Uh, there are many states, I guess, that allow direct primary care and some that don't. Maybe you could tell us some of the ones that do and don't. And, you know, what can people kind of do about that if their state doesn't allow it? Well, you're right. Um, the, the business of uh, or the practice of medicine is regulated by states in in our system. The the Congress and the feds have encroached on that significantly over the years, but it's still basically up to the states. So they can decide what constitutes the business of insurance versus the practice of medicine. Direct primary care is the practice of medicine. And um, if if you treat it as insurance, now you're going to impose all these government rules and red tape that you impose on insurance companies. And they are a heavily regulated industry. And of course, in a lot of ways, that's, that's good because insurance companies, um, they have a very complicated product and they can play games and they need to be held to a standard in terms of you know, providing what they promise, keeping their, you know, fulfilling their contracts and so on. So uh, since direct primary care is not insurance, it's important for states to actually pass a safe harbor law that clarifies this is not insurance. It's not regulated by the insurance commission. It's medicine. So it's regulated the way we regulate the practice of medicine mm-hmm. in our state. And as you mentioned, um, roughly a majority, maybe 30 states have passed um, these laws, safe harbor laws. We need to get them in all 50 states. The states that have not done so, I don't have a list in front of me, but it a lot of them are... Uh, sort of your uh, uh, more regulation-centric sort of states or Mm -hmm. insurance-influenced state legislatures. Uh, (laughs) New Jersey comes to mind, uh, and there are others. And not not every uh, Republican or conservative-leaning state has has a safe harbor law either, although most of them do. Uh, We just need to get all 50 states to pass these laws. And um, we're not saying that uh, direct patient access to care. And by the way, I do like to call it direct patient care because uh, ideally it wouldn't just be for primary care. It would also be for specialists and facilities and things like that, surgical centers. There's no reason you couldn't do the model 
for more than just primary care. But we we need um, to make sure that uh, the that this is uh, regulated appropriately in every state. And by doing that, then it's an option. Then people can do it. I think it would be a great world in which most people did it. And it's not a substitute for insurance. You still need protection against large financial um, you know, risks. Uh, but primary care and uh, most uh, ordinarily delivered medical care, certainly things that you can uh, schedule in advance or shop around for, I'm not talking about emergencies, that kind of care doesn't ordinarily need to be paid for through insurance. It should be paid for through, you know, with cash, basically. Sure. So, And uh, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to ask you, I mean, that's essentially what you're talking about. Maybe people don't understand, like they don't, they don't necessarily, maybe they're looking at this and say, well, this would, this does work for me because it would be a substitute for insurance. And that's not really what you're saying here. I mean, somebody still needs what, what they used to refer to as a catastrophic policy, right? Or something that covers hospitalizations and, you know, m- you know, major uh, illnesses and, and things like that. But, but that insurance wouldn't cover these these smaller things, do- doctor visits and things like that, you just directly contract those with your doctor. That's really what you're talking about here. Absolutely. Yeah. Primary care, be the analogy would be getting oil changes on your car, yeah, right. whereas you want the insurance it, for a car wreck or, you know, a big, a major sure. fender bender. And, and as long as people have those things, they're going to feel the, that peace of mind of knowing they're protected, but they still have a lot of choice and control. That's what we're we're going after Dean. You're pretty awesome on the analogies. I got to say, you know, in, in, <laughs> in, in one episode, you you gave us the grocery store analogy on healthcare. That's great, and I love that analogy on on car care. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, we have insurance, auto insurance, but it doesn't it doesn't cover oil changes. It doesn't cover your alternator going out. It covers catastrophic accidents and and the things that you really need insurance for. And that that's kind of what you're talking about here. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. Yeah. And the analogies, I think, help people understand. And if I could add just one other thing about yeah. TP, DPC sure. while I'm thinking about it, direct primary care, um, it, price transparency. Sure. Um, it's just automatic. They will tell you what things are going right. to cost in advance. They're going to help advise you and they're going to give you referrals. So maybe you can obtain that MRI that you need or that lab test that you need. Uh, at a discount. In fact, sometimes they build relationships with the local lab uh, um, outfits and the uh, MRI facilities and so on, uh, so that you do get a discount and they get the the referral, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's just better health care. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they've got a, a, a famous, famous surgery center in Canada uh, that it's a hernia repair hospital goes back to the 1940s it's basically direct patient care it's exempted from canada's socialized medicine laws they can take cash paying customers and guess what they have some of the world's best quality care for hernia repair lowest complication rates people come in from all over the world to go there even rand paul the libertarian united states senator who's no fan of canadian socialized medicine got his hernia repaired at the Shouldice Clinic in Toronto, Canada, because that's a little island of freedom in their socialized medicine <laughs> system. It's direct patient care, and it works. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. So I, 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 we don't have a ton of time here left, but I do. I I always want to ask 
for personal stories. I mean, have you heard from people who've used direct primary care? I mean, you just used, you know, Senator Rand Paul. Uh, but, uh, you know, have you heard about others using direct primary care and, or maybe from providers themselves? I have talked a lot to providers, more so than uh, patients, but I've talked to both. What uh, providers tell me is um, I was, usually it's a story like this. I was a regular physician with insurance and, or I worked in a hospital. I was overworked. I burned out. You know, at night I would come home if they were a, a private practice physician and they would spend all evening filling out paperwork for the insurance companies, basically. Mm -hmm. My life was miserable. I decided to quit and set up a direct primary care practice. Now I make less money, but I'm so much happier because I'm just delivering care to my patients. And of course, because the model works, my business is growing. And, you know, I'm not suffering financially, but I'm a much happier human being. It's a better quality of life. And uh, by the way, it's not just physicians. Uh, I've met um, chiropractors who do this model. I've met uh, advanced practice registered nurses uh, who set up uh, DPC um, clinics. Now, they might employ a physician to help them uh, in their practice, but um, there's a lot of different models. And basically what you're having is a lot of these providers quiet quitting or loudly quitting traditional sort of insurance-centric healthcare and doing this direct care model, and they love it. And um, by the way, another barrier we need to remove is a lot of times these hospital systems will impose what's called a non-compete agreement on the hospital physicians so that even if they leave, walk across the street and just set up a direct primary care practice, which does not compete with the hospital. They don't compete with each other, but they still, they, they can't do it because the hospital is trying to keep them from going to some other hospital. We need to change the laws so that those doctors have the freedom uh, to do that. So the, 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 those are some stories there. Gotcha. Okay. And, and then just last thing I had for you is if somebody wants to learn more, right, about direct patient care, direct primary care, how would they learn more about it? And uh, is there a website that they can go to or how can they learn more? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would go to um, the website uh, uh, dpcare.org. Okay. And uh, there's also a website called um, uh, direct, um, or excuse me, dpcaction.org. Uh, these are basically associations of these doctors, uh, you know, networks of these doctors who work together to improve public policy. And, um, and of course, uh, if you're interested in actually using uh, direct primary care in your area, you know, you just look it up online and you will find they will advertise using a term like direct primary care or direct care. And... Um, and then you can, you know, chat with them and get to know more. And then, of course, uh, I would hope people would visit personaloption.com, which is the site where we're trying to encourage people to communicate with their uh, policymakers about this and other related issues, and also to educate uh, them and policymakers. All right. Well, Dean, th what what a great uh, what a great innovation, right? In the way we do business. Get sort of getting this government interference, these 
these crazy laws and rules that that tell us how we can and cannot interact with our doctor. You know, people always say, oh, I got to get government out of out of the business. Uh, but but this is a great example of government being in the business and we need to get them out of it. Let let people interact with their uh, health care provider in that area. If you'd like to get connected to Americans for Prosperity and the state chapter and you'd like to make a difference in your community, maybe you'd like to to work on passage of direct patient care in your state, you can email me at jeff at AmericanPotential.com. That's jeff at AmericanPotential.com. And we'll get you connected. We'll get you plugged in to the greatest grassroots army on the side of freedom and liberty that the world has ever known, Americans for Prosperity. And if you'd like to stay up to date with this podcast, the American Potential Podcast, you can subscribe to our channel. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow us on Instagram. All right. Thanks to Dean Clancy. What a, what a, what a great uh, episode of the podcast telling us all about direct patient care. Thanks for joining us on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.